After our service today, we'll have a fellowship meal that you're all welcome to join us in. Uh, Zach Binder has prepared something, so it should be wonderful, and we can fellowship and eat together afterwards. Uh, on Wednesday, that's January 17th this week, uh, we have the 9 a.m. Touchpoint with Pastor Stephen Joyce. The title is, Something Good is Going to Happen to Me Today. It's a good title. Uh, at 6 p.m., uh, as we do on most, if not every Wednesday, we have 6 p.m. Uh, Amplify TCC Youth Group. Uh, that's for teens, high school students, but also we have kids' activities at 6 p.m. as well. Uh, this Saturday, January 20th, at noon at the Beltrami County Courthouse, there's going to be a March for Life. Uh, there are flyers for that out in the Welcome Center, if you're interested in that. Uh, there's going to be a few other uh, things up on the screen here. Uh, there's uh, something about to view a prayer for this day videos or listen to their audio. Uh, there's the website up on the screen. If you want to hear archived Sunday morning messages, uh, you can also go to our website to hear those. Uh, and of course, for giving tithes and offerings, we have our boxes in the back, but you can also give by mail. The address should again be up on the screen. Uh, I have an additional thing here that says uh, giving statements uh, should be in everybody's mailboxes. And if you don't have a box, uh, there's a stack of them out by the boxes, which is out in the foyer there. If you leave through the doors here, out on the left. Uh, who here was blessed by this morning's worship? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, I've... I always get the anointing, especially when, when Jaish was singing. I feel like he's, he really brings something, doesn't he? Uh, I had a, a few things in my head that I was going to share this morning, but I, I think as we were worshiping, I got a uh, picture that I, I think I want to share with you. Uh, our last song that we were singing there, it was singing, even when I don't feel it, he's working, right? Uh, and I don't know how many times I've, I've, I've felt that. I, I've been here, I've sat right there, and there's times where I didn't feel anything. I didn't really recognize that, that sense of, I knew there were spiritual things happening in the room, but I wasn't really experiencing them. Uh, and there's a sense in which sometimes you feel like maybe you have to, to do something, you have to get over some hurdle, you have to make yourself into something to be this, uh, to be a part of the spiritual atmosphere that you think you're supposed to be a part of, right? Uh, so I got a picture this morning as we were singing uh, it was like above me, there was like, a, I don't know how to describe it, like some sort of uh, needle or something. And down from that needle came a single drop of golden, beautiful liquid. And it, and it dropped right down into, my, into the space of my spirit and just filled every part of me. Uh, it was like it was some sort of concentrated essence of his life and his goodness. And it, the smallest bit of it suddenly filled all of me, and I, and I got this, this impression, this message. Um, God doesn't give out samples of himself. A sample is something where you say, well, here's a little bit, uh, but the real thing is somewhere else. Uh, you might get a taste of it, uh, but the whole of it is, is someplace else that you have to buy, you have to do something, right? You're, this is the, the taste to kind of get you through the door, uh, but there's more to come, right? Um, I think God wants to say to us that I'm, I don't give myself in pieces. I give all of myself always. If you open yourself the least bit to me, 
Uh, the smallest bit of myself is all of me at the same time. That's how I work. <laughs> My spirit fills entirely, all right? Uh, all we have to do is be open, right? So that picture, that smallest bit of him can fill all of us entirely, yes? Uh, and I believe that is something for us this, this 2024 as we're, we're going into all sorts of things. Just the least bit of him is all we need to be everything, <laughs> yes? So I'm gonna pray over us this morning. Jesus, we just ask that not to become something that we don't have to go through all these strange motions to be in connection with you. We just are in your presence to know you, to know that you are good, to trust you, and that least bit of yourself can fill all of us and change us in a moment. Jesus, we know that, we believe that, and we see that in all of 2024, that that smallest bit of yourself can change our world, our community, the place that we live in. All we need is the least bit of yourself, and it can do great, great things. We know that. Uh, and so in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna welcome Josh Grover. Give him a hand. He's preaching for this Western morning. Thank you. morning. Um, I just wanted to start out this morning by saying a couple things and where my head is at the moment. Leading up to this morning, I, I kind of felt the idea that, you know, who am I? Who am I to stand here with any sort of authority and tell you anything, right? Um, it's a self-doubt, right? And um, I, I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. And talking about the sufficiency this morning, you know, I am who God says I am. And that is this morning's message this morning. I really feel like the, it has been leading up to this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Steve and Joyce talking about finding joy in our trials last week. Um, leading up to this morning, the service, who am I, right? I, and thinking about all of the self-reflection that it took to go through those worship songs and to praise him in all sufficiency. Uh, but I wanted to... First of all, to give an introduction to myself, many of you I know, but I wanted to tell you about, again, who I am. I am Dr. Joshua Grover. I am child of the one true God. I am devoted husband to my champion, my partner, my helper, Christine. I am father and champion to three of the most amazing human beings in the whole wide world, McKinnon, Keaton, and Emerson. Son to Jeff and Judy, brother to Jaden and Jarrell. Devoted friend and brother in Christ, elementary principal in Cass Lake Bina, and so on in that order because this is what God tells me I am supposed to be. You see, my hope is that this message brings you comfort if you are questioning who you are and who you're supposed to be in this world today. Um, and I ask that you please pray throughout this message as it's hard for the world to hear what God wants us to be, what God wants us to be. I'd like to begin in the word, please, which you turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. In the latest edition of my life, I've been reading out of the uh, Christian Standard Version, if that's something you're interested in. I can tell you more after the service about why I chose that. But God led me to the book of James during my devotions, leading me first to chapter 3, actually. And uh, to gain context, I had to go back to the beginning of James. Again, we begin in chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly? It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with a scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers fall off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he is, has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should ever say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by, the, by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he, has, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his face in the mirror for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But for the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I come to you humbly, first asking for your forgiveness as I confess that I cannot, by my own accord, live 100% out of the word of God. For I am a sinner, but I know that if I look into the word, I look into that mirror, and I remember who I am supposed to be in you, Father, that I am blessed. I am blessed by you, and we, Father, want to be blessed by you this morning. We invite your Holy Spirit to take over this morning. We ask, and I ask, that you use me as a tool, as a vessel this morning, so that your word can be made known in your wonderful, amazing name. Amen. So as I uh, said earlier, the title of this morning's message is, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Kind of a takeoff on uh, uh, John chapter 8 when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's trying to tell, yeah, I am that guy. I am that guy. But 
spun it around a little bit to say that I am who you say I am, capital Y-O-U. As I said earlier in my devotions, God revealed this message uh, through James um, around the idea of identity. I've been hearing a lot of that um, here, elsewhere, in my own self, trying to figure out who I am. You know, middle-aged man trying to grow up, trying to still grow up, be a father, be a husband, be a principal, but most importantly, being a child of God. Before we dive deeper into the word um, and what James is trying to say, I wanted to talk about who James was. I think it's really important to talk about who James was. We know that James was a relative of Jesus of some sort. Often, I was taught that he was James' brother to Jesus, and uh, in that I believe that's what the case was, but if you look in the earlier translations, it's possible that they kind of treated the word cousin and brother similarly. We know that James is the brother of Jude, which is most likely those two are the brothers of Jesus. I think that's important to talk about. I think that's incredible to talk about. Because like Joseph and Mary and other family members, they had an opportunity to see Jesus for who he was from birth to his sacrifice and resurrection. They got to see him at his most raw. Can you imagine um, your brother or sister, your cousin, whoever it might be, you get to grow up and you play with them in all their fails and all their furies and all their good things and bad things. Can you imagine what it would be like to watch Jesus fall down one day when he's seven years old and he hits the ground? What's gonna come out of his mouth, right? James is watching him, watching him very carefully, right? James is actually considered one of the later disciples, later disciples, so he was kind of waiting to see, all right, I want to see this come to fruition. I want to see this play out. So that's a unique perspective, and I think it's really important that we think about James in that way. He saw Jesus in every way, natural in his human way, but his Godhead coming through the humanity, and still understood him to be the living Messiah, the Messiah himself. That, to me, gives James credibility. Also, during the time of James, he was considered one of the greatest rabbis of his day. He was revered and respected by both Messianic Jews, those believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and those Jews that did not believe that he was the Messiah. He was revered on both fronts, well-respected. He was a teacher. He knew what he was talking about. So again, gaining credibility to James and who he was. And it's just so exciting to think about what he can contribute because I really firmly believe if you were to read James all the way through, you have a roadmap for who you're supposed to be in Christ. You have a roadmap. I'm going to pick up in verse 2. I'm going to dive a little bit more deeply into the text this morning. There are some things that are non-negotiables in my head because I believe that God has given given them to me this morning and things I might kind of go over a little bit more quickly. James 2, verses 2 through 4. And Emily, I thank you for keeping up with me this morning. And those of you online, thank you for keeping up this morning. It's a blustery morning, so I appreciate you tuning in this morning. Verse 2, as we saw and heard about last week, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials, various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. So James is talking about don't just find joy in your trials. There's a reason why you do. 
you find the joy in the endurance, in the process, in the end, that at the backside of whatever you might be going through, that you're going to learn from something. You're going, God is going to teach you how to be more connected to him and how to rely upon him. That's it's plain as day. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants to be able to do is connect with you through your trials. And we move on, and we actually get a chance to help understand a little bit more of this in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. If you actually go back one verse, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. So there is blessing in your trials as well. There is blessings in your trials as well. Verse 5, moving on. Fairly straightforward, but I believe it's attached to verses 2 through 4. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he, he should ask God, who gives so all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Before we dive into wisdom, we need to find out what it means. What is wisdom? I can attach it to my own head once to attach it to the first couple of verses and saying that wisdom is learning through our trials. Wisdom is learning through our lived experiences. But like I said earlier, James kind of talks about this a lot. He defines everything he, God is asking for us. Skip ahead to chapter 3 really quickly in James, and you see this. Chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, it's first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. Wisdom is without pretense. It doesn't ask for anything. Wisdom is unwavering. It's full of good fruits and mercy. It's not vengeful. It's not angry. It's not spiteful. You learn from your mistakes. You learn from your trials. But James goes on, and he says, you have to ask it. You have to expect it. You have to have faith, and you will gain wisdom from whatever you're going through. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Thinking about this this week, it felt very difficult for me to articulate, and I hope that I can. If you factor God out of the wisdom process, right? You thought, I don't want to, we're not going to, but you factor him out, and you have a lived experience, right? And you go into that experience going, you know what, I'm not going to learn anything about this. I'm not going to learn from my trials. I'm not going to learn from my mistakes. Are you going to learn from your mistakes? No, you're not. So naturally, that's pretty natural. You factor God in here. You ask him and you expect to have wisdom through whatever you might be going through. He's going to give it to you. He will give it to you. It says it clear as day right here. So it'd be expecting that you were going to learn from whatever you're going through. Moving on to verse 9. 11. I think this is really interesting because you see this theme come out in the Bible over and over and over again. And I hope that you see that James lays out an outline of what's important, how to step through your life. Verse 9, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For me, as I reflected on it, it became more obvious of what is trying to be said here. But it took me a moment. It took me a moment. 
First of all, I went to monetary things. I went to gifts. I went to things that I have, possessions. And in that, I will be honest with you, my own life, he says to boast in your exaltation if you come from a humble background. I come from a humble background, both in my own like spiritually and from the monetary, what we had. We didn't have much growing up. And I can tell you right now, I am so blessed. I am so honored. I am excited about where I am on earth, but not nearly as excited as where I am spiritually. Because before I was poor, I had nothing spiritually, and now I have everything I have ever wanted and ever dreamed of. And I really feel that, that if you have had nothing, both spiritually and things of this earth, it's pretty easy, maybe not easy, but it is easier to look and only rely upon the one true God that can sustain you. When you've had nothing, when you've had nothing at all, it's a little easier to look at the eyes of God and say, I got nothing, God. Please, 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 please fulfill my needs. And guess what? If you expect it, he's going to do so, right? But if you were born with everything you felt you needed, how easy is it to rely on God? Why would you? Why would you? If you felt you had everything, if you felt you had everything here on earth that you ever needed, there's no use. Why would you even try, right? Without true faith and understanding that the things here do not matter. But the true God, the true spiritual sustenance is what matters. And you see that theme throughout scripture over and over again. That the rich better watch themselves because it's easy to fall back into that reliance upon self. When you have nothing, you can't rely upon yourself. You have no choice. <clears throat> We're going to move on. We're going to skip down to verse 12, Emily. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test of time, or stood the test rather, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One, I said time in there because my brain jumped ahead. What I want us to remind ourselves is how, how small, how much of a sliver of time we have here on earth compared to eternity. This is just a moment, a very glimpse of our eternity. This is not, if you are a believer, you believe in God, you know where you're going, this is just a hiccup in all of eternity. You see, you might have friends, family members that might have experienced trials and tribulations their entire life here on earth. What gives me encouragement is knowing that that is finite. That will end. Those trials will be done, and you will receive glory in heaven one day. You will receive a new body in heaven one day. That, to me, is so encouraging. Verse 13, moving forward. <clears throat> this passage I find both challenging and encouraging, but listen up. It says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. The part that's not really encouraging to me is the idea that sin equals death. And that is the idea that when you lean into sin, you give into sin, you turn your eyes away from God, you turn that mirror, you turn from that mirror, and you say, I don't need you, 
That's the sin we're talking about, right? To me, what's also encouraging, what's encouraging, I guess, part of this is desire does not always equal sin. Sometimes I get very hard on myself. I get very, very hard on myself. You kind of can, and I imagine you might too, I don't know if you do or not, but I get very guilty. And maybe it's a place where I do need to, and it keeps me in check, and I can turn back to God, right? But imagine convenience store. You're there, and you see a candy bar. You have no change in your pocket, but you really want that candy bar. And you don't put it in your pocket, but you want to put it in your pocket, but you want to walk out the door because you have no change. But, you know, you resist temptation. You walk out. Did you sin? No, you didn't. You turned your eyes away. You moved forward. You didn't sin, right? So there is a piece of encouragement there. If you can turn away, you rely upon God for your strength and walk away. That is vital. Verse 16. We're going to actually hang out here for a chunk of time this morning. And I will do my best to honor your time, as I know I'm in the way of lunchtime. But I really feel that this is where some of the meat and potatoes of this morning lies. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You begin to see that James is moving in not to just individual, individual identity, but he's starting to move into the church. After all, he is talking to the 12 tribes, right? He's starting to move into the identity of the church. He just said, does not change like the shifting shadows. One of the phrases today that is the most concerning to me one of the phrases that gets me kind of riled up is the idea of what's called the progressive movement in the church. The progressive movement in the church. Now, I'm very convicted by this term. I'm very moved by this term. The very nature of progressive means what? Change. Thank you. The very nature of progressive means change, but James says what right here? He doesn't change. The word doesn't change. It was the same yesterday, today, and it will be tomorrow. So how can we have a progressive movement within the church if the word doesn't change, if God doesn't change, if Jesus and his sacrifice does not change? We can't. There is no way we can have progressive things within the church. Now, we're not talking about, you know, moving with the times in terms of basic things like maybe I can wear a different shirt today than I did 15 years ago. That's not what I'm talking about. The progressive ideology, when you really dive into other churches that are out there, is changing the very meaning of what God says. It's downplaying Jesus' sacrifice. It downplays the Old Testament and the Messiah and the visions of the Messiah all throughout the Old Testament, leading to his birth, death, and resurrection. The progressive movement takes away truth. We must remember who we are, who we are, and everything we are can be found here. He says it right next in verse 18. This to me almost brought me to tears and then onto my knees when I truly realized what it meant. Verse 18, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. I had to find out what first fruits meant. 
I had to go back and find out what first fruits meant. If you're familiar with the times of when this was written and before, the societies back then, whether Greek, Roman, Hebrew, they brought the first fruits of every harvest to the high priests for an offering. They brought it as a sacrifice. First fruits were clean. First fruits were ripe. First fruits were ready for the picking. Look, you hear the representation of who we are? James is seeing, saying that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay? We are ripe. We are made clean through the blessing of Jesus Christ and his salvation. We are made as a living sacrifice for our Lord, our God, through that sacrifice that he made. Without that sacrifice, we can't be clean. If I didn't have that sacrifice, if I didn't know who Jesus was, if I didn't see and know that Jesus died on that cross for me and then resurrected three days later, I'd be a shriveled up little raisin that was not, it was far from ripe, that was broken, it was inedible. But God can take me and use me now. God can take me and use me now. You see, this is our identity right here. This is who we are. It's incredible to me think, think about the first fruits and what they can be and what we can be as God's kinds of first fruits. Moving forward here. I am jumping all over, not in my notes, but in my head. So I need to make sure that I continue to stay focused this morning. <clears throat> I want to make sure that I hit the scriptures that reinforce what I just said. If we jump to 1 Corinthians 6.11, jump to 1 Corinthians 6.11, I think it is in there, Emily. And this is where I was talking about the ripening of his first fruits, right? 6.11, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. These are the fruits these are the fruits. We are washed and we are made clean, just like you would do with first fruits and the first fruits of the harvest. You keep them clean. In Jeremiah 2.3, it speaks more of the first fruits. It speaks more of the first fruits. Jeremiah 2.3 speaks specifically about Israel. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. And you'll find that throughout Scripture, the idea of first fruits. A living sacrifice is who we are. We have to continue to look into our identity and what and who we are supposed to be. As I move back into James, our identity is found again in the word of God, like I've said in the word that we've seen here over and over and over again this morning. It's found in God in that Jesus' atonement. We are able to be defined by the word, but how will people know who we are. We're defined by our faith in the word and what has God done for us, what God has done for us, rather, and throughout eternity. But again, how will people know who we are without demonstrating who we are? We transition then to the next part. When we take all of this to be true, what God has said to be true in the Bible, we understand that our faith and our identity is made known through our actions. 
Our faith becomes our work. Now, in the next passage, too many pastors, too many priests, too many other faiths use this next passage to try to demonstrate, to try to prove text that we're saved by our works, which is not true. What I'm saying is James is saying exactly what is the truth. We are saved by our faith. The more faith we have, the more we understand that our identity comes from him and his word, the more we will make his works made known. The more we will start to see that we are different than the world. The context leads us to this conclusion that our faith, our identity in Christ, leads us to the righteousness put in our hearts by God himself. Verse 19 and 21 Moving to this section, being doers and not merely hearers of the word. <clears throat> My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's speaking to us saying, receive the word. It's in our hearts, so use it. It's in our hearts, so use it. Continuing on. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. It's so easy to see that right now, isn't it? I've seen how many, even myself, people get dinged by this, are guilty of this. But the second they walk out of the sanctuary, they don't look like this, they don't sound like this, they don't feel like this, and I'm guilty of this. And I do ask God for forgiveness for this. But James is telling us, God is telling us through James, be the same person you are in Christ as you are in the world. Be different. Be someone that is set apart so that they can see who you are and that might lead them to the gospel. That might lead them to the gospel. <clears throat> but the one who looks intently into the perfect law, it's this, the perfect law of freedom, and perse perseveres into it, or in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is why I love this translation so much because it actually gives a multi-word translation for words that need multi-words. If you've ever understood what Hebrew is, there's not one word to define a Hebrew word. There are many words to make sure that you get the beautiful amazingness of Hebrew. And it breaks it into this. I have to go over it again. The perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works this person will be blessed in what he does. So if you listen and heed God's word, you will be blessed in what you do. As we wrap up a little bit more here, verse 26, again, breaking open, talking about more of the body of who we are. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and deceives himself. Pure, undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look upon or look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. 
So our identity being found within the law, right? The word, it's found in Jesus' actions and the grace of God himself, not always of the world can we look to things. We can't look to the world for identity. The world would like to tell us, even the church, what we should look like, but we can't. We need to be defined by what is in the living word itself. We cannot be defined by what the world wants us to be. So as I speak, my hope is that it resonates with us as a church body and the idea that we're doing wonderful things here, but maintain the course, maintain the idea that we have to keep the word of God at the tip of our tongues and the tip of our actions at all times. We must do so because the world is trying to push us the other way. We have to maintain that. While somewhat controversial, I wanted to jump into this. You know, I stumbled upon this and I was reminded of it. I'd heard it years and years and years ago. Now, mind you, this is a word from a man, not a word from God, but it does have many things that resonate with this morning's message. If you're like me, you might have grown up with Paul Harvey. Good day, right? Might have grown up with Paul Harvey. And in 1965, the, I'm sure you've, many of you have heard it, but 1965, he had a statement or a, a story called, uh, I am, it would, if I were the devil is what it's called, if I were the devil. And what's really interesting about it is that I will stop short of calling it prophecy, but I will definitely say it pretty accurately predicted what's going on right now. You might have seen it floating around online, but I want to read it to you this morning. I want to read it to you this morning. And I'll read the, actually the introduction too. In 1965, Paul Harvey broadcasted, If I Were the Devil. It was really amazing to realize that nearly 50 years ago how accurately he predicted the future spiritual condition of the United States and even the world. Many of his statements were considered crazy and outlandish and like this is not going to happen at the time in 1965, but I want you to make these your own choice on that. Paul Harvey's, If I Were the Devil. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate, four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the United States. So I'd set about however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with the campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach them to pray after me or you know, our father, which are in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting, kind of like cell phones and anything on those. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I have, I'd have mesmerized media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to redefine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions. 
Just let those run wild until before you know it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. <laughs> Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting, promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get the whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that promiscuity is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with the diseases for which there are no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, good day. If we are able to be the body of Christ, if we are to be the body of Christ, as the Bible says, we must remember who we are. We must remember the good and perfect law, the things God put in the Old and New Testament to keep us safe, to keep us connected to each other, to keep us from self-destructing, most importantly, so that we can be the light to the rest of the world so that they may know him and to know the gospel. We must never forget the greatest command in all of this, the greatest definition of who we are and who we, meant, who we are meant to be, the greatest covenant. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love your neighbor as yourself, but the greatest is love your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Today, I want us to go forth and make the world know who we are. You're a child of the one true God. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are the first fruits of his creation. This morning, please know that I love you and everyone in this room. Please know that God loves you more than anything than you will ever know. So much so that he gave his only begotten son who died horribly in three days resurrected for you and for the rest of the world. Just remember to look in the mirror and remember who you're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your glory. Thank you for your grace for without your grace, I would be nothing. Thank you for filling my heart, sustaining me in ways that I can truly not comprehend. This morning, we pray that we can go out and constantly keep that mirror with us, to keep the word with us so that we can look back and be proud that we are who you said we are in every way, shape, and form but always understanding that we are eternally grateful for your grace. 
This morning, we pray over this morning's meal so that it be blessed to our bodies, bless, over the, bless the fellowship and the words that come out of our mouths this morning so that in you can be focused and you can be glorified in your wonderful, amazing name. Amen. Thank you for your time this morning. Go ahead and go get some lunch. Appreciate you all.